Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Oh, it's been an eventful 24 hours in our family. We um, last night uh, we picked up the kids from aftercare, brought them home, and we're eating dinner. And you know, Roy's, Roy's like rushing through his food because he has to go to Queen Vic Markets for Adra and then go to small group. And so he was rushing. We're eating, and Joshi goes, um, oh, my leg hurts, and I think there's a pimple on my leg. And we're like, what? So then um, I said, let me have a look. I roll up his uh, pant leg, and there are these, um, I couldn't tell if it was a rash or blisters, but there were, there were splotches on his legs. We're like, this is not good. If this is something contagious, then like, we have to cancel everything. Like, um, I preached at Burwood this morning. I, I'm, we're here at MCAC. We have a lot of things to cancel if this is contagious or we don't know what it is. And so the GP had closed. And so uh, Roy took Joshi to the Royal Children's Hospital emergency room where he waited four hours and still hadn't been seen. And um, at the four-hour mark, or I, I think it was a three-hour mark, he um, happened to, he thought, I wonder how much longer this is going to be. And there was someone passing by and he just kind of asked them, hey, do you know how much longer we might have to wait just to have expectation? And the person said, there are 15 children ahead of, ahead of Joshua. So Roy was like, what does that mean? And she said, six more hours. This was at like, at like 10 or 11 p.m. So then she saw the look on Roy's face. And it turns out that she wasn't just a random stranger. She was a consultant who was checking out of work. Like she was leaving after her shift. But she said, let me have a quick look. And she looked at Joshi and said, he's got a rare autoimmune disorder called HSP. I'm not even going to try to say the full name. It's like some German or Dutch name. And um, it's not contagious, which is good. Um, but um, basically, his body is attacking itself. Um, and so all, all the blotches are his blood vessels that are like bleeding inside, and so um, basically uh, it meant that he had a lot. Of, he, has, he had joint pain, so he's like a little arthritic old man um, hobbling along. But right now he's alright because he's he's got pain medication and um, he's he's recovering. So he just has to do uh, weekly urine tests, and um, which will become less frequent over time as they as we continue to monitor to make sure he doesn't have kidney failure or um, other issues going on. But he's alright. As you can see, he's happy to be here. <laughs> um, Want to wave, Joshi, so everyone knows you're okay? There you go. Um, so, yeah, thank you. So, so of course, Roy had to, like, cancel big markets and um, small groups, and um, eventually they came home after midnight. Um, and so we're, we're very grateful for everyone's um, prayers and um, just very grateful for that doctor who took time out of – I'm sure she had been exhausted after a long shift – could have gone home, but she took the time to, to, to care for Joshi and kind of expedited him in the line. So we're very grateful for that, that they were able to come home and get some sleep um, and that I was able to go to Burwood and preach, and here I am today. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're, I was like, man, we have a lot of things to cancel. We have the movie night tonight. I was like, we have a lot, 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 lot at stake, which is – but we're really, really glad that we actually did go to the hospital cause, because it's such a rare disorder – she was saying that if we had just taken him to GP, they wouldn't have known. Um, so, and, and of all the people, she's like the top of the, you know, she's like the senior doctor. So we were really um, grateful for how that worked out. So that's been what's been happening in our family. <laughs> um, I don't know how your week was, but I'm looking forward to finding out as we connect later. 
So last week, Roy preached about the Trinity, the, the, um, the three-in-one concept. And it is a hard concept to figure out. And um, he shared how the, re- the reason why it's important for us to talk about this and the reason why it's such a meaningful co- concept is because the idea of God being three um, means that God was already love, that he didn't create humanity in, because he was this needy divine figure who needed some object of affection, but that he was already quite content and already in a loving relationship, but just like a loving couple wants to have children in order to extend that family, that God extended the family um, by creating humanity. And just as a quick review, Roy mentioned Genesis 1.26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So you see the plurality of God there. He also uh, sorry, mentioned Matthew 28, verse 19, the Great Commission, and how you see uh, Jesus invoking um, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit when we baptize. He also talked about how um, we see the Trinity working together at Jesus' baptism, at his resurrection, um, and at his incarnation as well. Now, as Roy was talking, uh, as preaching, I was in the back with boys, and Micah sidled up to me, and he said, I don't get this. He said, so there are three gods. And I said, no, no, there's one God. He's like, but there's three of them. I'm like, yep. There are three gods. No, no, there's, there's one God. He said, okay, but then which one is first? I said, no, none of them are first. They're all one. And he's, I don't get it, right? And he's not the only one. <laughs> and that's why I'm doing part two today, because the concept of the Trinity is such, I mean, scholars spend lifetime uh, researching and writing and talking about this. So it's a hard concept, and I want to acknowledge that. But last week, Roy really emphasized how the plurality. But today I want to emphasize, I guess, the unity um, of God and what that means for us. <coughs> Excuse me. And especially the idea that all three persons are equal, that there isn't one that is above the other. In other ancient religions like the Babylonians or the Egyptians or the Roman gods, there are multiple gods, but they are derived from each other. So, for example, in Greek mythology... A lot of people think that Zeus was like the head god, but he wasn't. (laughs) He was actually the offspring. So um, the sky and the earth produced 12 children called the Titans, who then bore the first generation of Olympians, which includes Zeus and Hades, Poseidon, etc. And each of those children had uh, children who were also gods and demigods. And of course, in Greek mythology, they're jealous of each other. They fight. You know, there's all these stories. In contrast... The three persons in the Godhead are co-eternal. One did not beget another. One is not the offspring of another. They have always existed together in harmony, in purpose, and character. And when we look at the Bible, the reason why there are so much, uh, there's so much confusion is because we look at the Bible through our lens, right? Through our language. So we hear son, father, and we think, ah, It's like Roy and Micah. But the Bible uses terminology differently. And so it's important to look at what, what, uh, in what context does the Bible use this terminology. (laughs) I want to begin by looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which is a very, (laughs) excuse me, famous 
verse because this is called the Shema. This is what the Jews recite um, all the time. And this is a verse that says, that seems to suggest that God is one. So, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So, people might say, okay, look at that. See? There is only one God. But then when you look at the original Hebrew, it, and I put the, um, the green is singular, and the pink or the magenta is plural. And Roy mentioned this last time, how Elohim is a, a plural uh, word. And so technically, it, it, the English translation would be God's if they were literal about the translation. And so it says, Hear, O Lord, the Lord, singular Yahweh, our God, Elohinu, the Lord, Yahweh, is one. Now, the Hebrew word for Echad is a very interesting one. Because when you look at how else it's used in the Old Testament, it's used in Genesis chapter 1, for example. When God calls the light day and the darkness night, there was evening and there was morning, and that was the Echad day. So there's two components, light and darkness, making up one day. And then Genesis 2.24, that's why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one Echad flesh. Ezra 2.64, the whole assembly together, Echad, was 42,360. So you see this Hebrew word one, Echad, being used when it, there's actually a composite that make up that one. In fact, there's another Hebrew word that is one, like singular one, and that word is Yachid, which is not used back in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The word is Echad, that the singular and the plural together, God is one. <coughs> and when we go back to the Genesis account, so uh, once again color-coded, magenta is plural and green is singular. Now, look at this, uh, look at how God uh, talks about the creation of mankind. He says, let us, plural, make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created he him, male and female, created he them. So not only do you have the singular plural being mixed with God, you're being the singular and plural being mixed for humanity, that it's mankind, but that mankind is made up of male and female, them. In the New Testament, too, you see the three members of the Trinity being mentioned, um, and, and you hear them being mentioned in different order. In other words, a lot of times we kind of think of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in, in that order. But here we see in these verses that sometimes it's mixed around. So in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. 1 Peter 1.13 has uh, Peter writing to the dispersed people um, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with his blood, grace, and peace will be yours in abundance. And then finally in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to 6, there are different kinds of excuse me, gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. So sometimes the Spirit is mentioned first, sometimes Jesus is mentioned first, sometimes God the Father is mentioned first, but throughout the Bible you, you have these echoes of 
God is one, but in that oneness, there's three. So then the question becomes, okay, let's go back to Micah's question, right? Which was first? And according to these verses, they're all equal, co-eternal. So then why is called, why is Jesus called the Son of God? It's confusing, this phrase, Son, right? Why is it God the Father and God the Son? It sounds like there's a bit of hierarchy. And in fact, there are Bible verses where Jesus seems like he is subservient to God the Father. For example, oh, we'll see. Uh, hold on. I'll come back to that. The Father is greater than I. I can of my own self do nothing. Um, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. There are others. And so these verses... So these verses seem to suggest that Jesus is under God the Father, that he is, you know, in a hierarchy, um, subservient to him. But when you read Philippians chapter 2, it unlocks for us how to understand what it means to be a son. Philippians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is where we have to really pay attention to what is being said. It says, who, being in very nature God, okay, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> so Philippians is telling us that Jesus is equal with God, God the Father, God the Spirit, but in order to save mankind, he emptied himself. He let go of the privilege of the divinity that he had, the privilege of being in heaven, to become a clump of cells in the womb of a young girl named Mary. And this is a mystery, you know, the incarnation, the resurrection, all of it is a mystery as much as the Trinity. It's, some, it's not something we could ever quite explain. But the Bible tells us that when God became a human being in order to redeem us, he took on the role as the servant, uh, the son of God, as the son uh, subservient to the father uh, in that particular ministry. <clears throat> this is how Ty Gibson, who wrote the book, The Sonship of Christ, describes it. He says, when John calls Jesus the only begotten of the father, he's, <coughs> sorry, I wasn't coughing all day, but I think something's trickling. I've, I've got a, um, 
uh, allergies. Okay, he's identifying him as the one in whom Israel's calling will be finally and fully actualized. Whereas Israel failed in the witness of nations and therefore failed to draw the nations into their own sonship relationship with God, Jesus will succeed. He became the son of God so that we might become the same, that we might be given the right to become children of God. The one who made the world took on the sonship role so that we might be incorporated back into that role ourselves. So in other words, he's saying, Jesus willingly became the son of God so that we can be sons of God, daughters of God, children of God. Because he came as a human being to be our example, he showed through his life and ministry what it looks like to obey the Father, to submit to the Father, to surrender to the Father. So another, one example of this is the fact that he got baptized. Jesus never sinned, so why does he have to be forgiven and baptized? He doesn't. But he did that, once again, to be an example to us. Roy talked last week about how when Jesus got baptized, that, that moment was a moment where the Trinity comes together, that you have the son of uh, the father's voice saying, this is my son, right? That's the moment he became the son um, at the baptism where he, where he says, I delight in him. And you see also the Holy Spirit uh, that looks like a dove descending down on him. And so in that moment, Jesus and uh, the son and the father and the spirit all together affirming that special time. I want to go back to a quote that I skipped earlier. This is a quote from R.M. Johnston, who says, God is not one plus one plus one, but rather one times one times one. The three make God more intensely one. Each of the three is the whole, not a part, and each is necessary to the whole. And this is a really good way of looking at it, I think, because it's not one plus one plus one. It's one times one times one, right? More intense. Each one uh, by, by himself um, is God. But each together, uh, but the three together are more, I guess, they're, they're God. <laughs> they're still God. So the answer, sure. <laughs> to, to answer, I'm, I'm getting fed in like. Um, so to, all together they are God, and separately they are God. So to answer Micah's question, God the Father is God, God the Son is God, God the Holy Spirit is God, and together they are God. <laughs> um, now where was I? Uh, going back. <clears throat> so when it comes to uh, the Trinity, one of the common, most common kind of objections has to do with Jesus um, Jesus is divinity, sorry. I don't know if this is a good idea to pop this in my, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to have like, I'm not going to be able to enunciate. It's all right. Um, so when it comes to the divinity of Christ, um, this idea of, oh, well, you know, he seems to be um, different, right? Jesus seems to be different from God the Father. And so this common misconception that he has been created by God. A lot of people say that, um, that God the Father beget or created Jesus, and that now Jesus has kind of this elevated position, um, but that he w- he's never been equal with God. But if you look at the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, you actually see that the Messiah was referred to as God. So for example, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay, so it's it's saying that the Messiah is not prophet with us, special human being with us. No, it says God with us. Another one, Isaiah chapter nine verse six. <clears throat> For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I find that quite interesting. Here the here Jesus actually is called Everlasting Father. Micah chapter two. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. And the original Hebrew there says, from eternity. So here's just a few examples of how in the Old Testament, uh, the Messiah that was to come and redeem the world was called God, co-eternal with um, God the Father. And then you come to the New Testament, and when the New Testament writers talk about Jesus, they also present Jesus as God. John especially does so out of the four gospel writers. John chapter 1, and I know I'm throwing out a lot of verses, but I want to show you from the Bible uh, these passages. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So immediately you have here that um, you have you have the idea there's more than just one God in this in the sense of one person um, of God. The word was God and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'll go through a few more. John 10.30, I and the Father are one. John 14, Philip says, show us the Father and that will be enough. Then we'll believe. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip, after I've been with you all this time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So these verses, once again, correlating how God is saying, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, we are the same. Colossians 1, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Now, this is a very important phrase because um, sometimes people, you know, point to that and say, see, Jesus is born. He's the firstborn. Um, he's the beginning. But if you read the rest of the phrase, it says, firstborn and beginning from the dead. It's talking about how Jesus is the first to resurrect from that eternal death that um, those of us who... <laughs> reject God, um, have in our future. And whereas Jesus resurrected from that, um, he was the first fruit of that resurrection. It says, and it, if you keep reading, it becomes clear, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, etc. And in the next uh, chapter, Paul repeats this in Colossians 2, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So I know that's a lot of Bible verses, and I know that's it's a, it's a, it's a big concept, but just to kind of review where we've come so far, right? The Bible presents that there are three persons in the Godhead. God the Father, 
God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Bible presents that all three have been co-eternal, that no one produced the other, but that they have all been in existence. And that they all are one in how they cooperate and work together. They're one in character. They're one in love for each other. So why does this matter? Okay, why are we spending two weeks to talk about this? Well, because we were created in God's image, understanding who God is helps us to understand who we are. There's a, another quote by Ty Gibson where he says, The doctrine of the Trinity urges that God is essentially social, communal, interpersonal. It is an utterly unique vision of God and biological extension of reality as a whole. In contrast to polytheism and pantheism, the Bible claims that God consists of an interpersonal relationship defined by self-giving benevolence. God is one and yet more than one. There's only one God and that one God is composed of a perfectly integrated relationship. And if God is love, right, in that interpersonal relationship, that means when we were created in God's image, we were created to be in community. And when Jesus, right before he was um, about to die, when he prayed for the disciples, his prayer, he could have prayed for so many things, you know, and, and I'm sure he did pray for many things. But when you read Jesus' prayer and what he really cared about, this is what he says. My prayer is not for them alone, talking about the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, <coughs> that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' prayer for us is that we would experience the unity, the fellowship, the community that the Trinity have with each other and that God wants to have with us. There's this incredible thing that he instituted when Jesus left. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit now, right? So you had God the Father sending God the Son to come as a human being, die for humanity. And then Jesus says, now I'm gonna, we're going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to come. And he's going to come into our hearts and bring us together into the Christian church, the spiritual community. And this church, this community, is such a unique gift that God bestows upon humanity because this is the one place where that unity becomes possible. Right? If you think about this world right now, it is so divided, right? You've got people divided by political differences, by socioeconomic differences, by ethnic or racial differences. This world is so divided. And then you look at the church, and you look at the different kinds of people who make up a church, right? We are a diverse body. All of us come from different backgrounds. Um, we come from different uh, experiences. We, we have different political uh, you know, interests and, and inclinations. 
We have different hobbies and personalities. But the church is a place where we come together and have fellowship, where we work together for the common goal of sharing Jesus and being the body of Christ that serves our community. Here's another quote. This is by Richard Rice. He says, The experience of salvation is therefore social as well as individual, with a public as well as a private dimension. It changes our relationships to others as well as to God. This exposes the fundamental inadequacy of all individualistic interpretations of Christian faith. Salvation is not merely or even primarily a matter between an individual and God. Salvation involves relationships with the other people, seeking social, not merely personal transformation. If this is true, then the cultivation of true community, development of caring relationships among people in the church, is the most important work of the church's ministry. In other words, because God is three in one, he has created us to be in community with each other. And so in the past few weeks, right, if you, or a few weeks, a few years, sorry, in the past few years, right, with the lockdown, with isolation, with everything that's been going on, no wonder we've been feeling so disconnected and lost because we haven't been able to experience that fellowship in the same way. The Bible says that we are many members but one body. And because the Trinity doesn't have a hierarchy, right, where one is above the other but they're all equal, that means that the church body is also equal. I am not above you. You are not above me. We are all equal. We are all members. And, and, and you know, one part of the body is not more important than the other. We are all needed to be part of the body of Christ. And that's why the Trinity matters. That's why the idea of a co-eternal, um, loving three-in-one Godhead matters because we are created in that image and because when you see, you know, I mentioned this last week, when you see um, a group of people who really enjoy being with each other, right, you look at them and you think, wow, they look like they're having so much fun and it draws you in. You want to be a part of that, right? And, and I mentioned last week that I think that's why we love, like the TV show Friends is so popular because you see a group of people who are so close together and watching them makes you feel like you're with them, right? That you're part of this, you know, squad. And the Trinity is this incredible picture of what is possible for us. And, and God invites us into that fellowship. He says, be part of a spiritual community, right? Where you can experience that fellowship with God and with one another. And then that, that looks so attractive that those outside say, I want to be a part of that, right? I want to come in and, and join this fellowship and this community. And so while the concept of the Trinity, it, it, it seems a bit, you know, doctrine-heavy and hard to understand, and we did go through a lot of um, passages, but I really hope and pray that as we think about and reflect and, and discuss um, what it means for us on that personal level, we'll realize more and more that Christian faith is not about just me and God, but it really is about us, us and God. And that as we um, participate in the fellowship of the church, as we, as we participate in the work of the church, 
that will experience the joy of that fellowship more and more. I want to invite you to our discussion time. And this is one of the reasons why at our church we have a discussion time for us to not just come and listen and go away, but to connect with God and with each other. So if you have your phones and you scan this QR code, it will take you to the questions for today. Now today at the very end, um, I I do I would like you to, in your tables, share with each other um, something from your week, from the week that you're grateful for, or something that you would like prayer for, um, so that you can pray together as a group at the end of the discussion. So if, if you um, can't scan, don't worry. If you just go to melbournecityavenues.org, our church website, and you go to a sermon, and there's a discussion question um, tab in the menu, and it'll take you to the discussion questions as well. Please bow your heads with me as we pray. <coughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for creating us in your image and for creating us to be in community. And Father, we confess that a lot of times we kind of, um, we, we, we struggle between feeling that need for community but also wanting to be selfish or wanting to, um, I guess, avoid the fear of rejection or avoid the fear of interaction. And that struggle is real, especially post-pandemic, Father God. I sometimes feel that too. But Father, I pray that as we look more and more at who you are and, and we behold who you are, that we will be invited into fellowship that we will choose to participate in the community and that as a result, Father God, we would be able to lead others to you and to this church to be able to connect and really understand how to experience love, how to experience fellowship, and how to experience um, forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, so help us, Father God, as, as we discuss um, to make this a reality, not just an idea, but to make this something that we can live on our lives. We pray in your son's name. Amen.